Well, uh, good morning. It is good to be with you. It is good to be back with you. I, some of you may know I planned to be back with you last Sunday and was not. Uh, I was marooned on a desert island uh, with the, the ship Minnow. No, it was, a, it was a, 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 you know, 2,500 flights were canceled last weekend, and one of them was mine. Yay! Uh, I had spent a week in Iowa for my doctoral work and had a really great week and uh, was trying to fly, fly home. I was in an airport for most of the day Saturday and was supposed to fly out at 8.36, not that I remember the time. And um, at 8.37, the gate sign switched over to flight canceled. And I was stuck in Chicago. Uh, You know, you've had that kind of day, right? Where it's just sort of, it's sort of a metaphor for life right now. Like just sometimes things will just not work out. And And that last Saturday was one of those. And I was stuck and I had planned to be here to preach. And so we had to figure out all the things to do. But I had spent a week focused on Christ and praying and uh, the, the power of being God's presence. And so for some reason, I didn't freak out, just started going through the list. Who's going to preach? How are we going to do it? Pastor Laura came in last Sunday at six o'clock, stood here, recorded the sermon so it could be on video. Pastor Lewis came in with her to make it happen, was editing video to, to make it fit that screen until about 9.15 last Sunday. Y'all didn't know it worked out fine. And our worship leaders you know, shifted. And it really is a testament to what we do and who we are that we were able to, uh, to worship last week. I'm so grateful for that. I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for the people that made that happen. So I'm, I want to say that. There were also some things that I had to figure out about now, now about 930, like where was I going to sleep and what, what, you know, how, what was I going to eat and, and, and I was going to get a ride. I got all those things figured out and I had one thing left. 945 last Saturday, I did not have an iPhone charging cord. And I knew that, I knew I'd lost it, so I had, had charged my battery, had the whole thing planned. It was like the final straw, you know, like, just like, can it just one thing work out? And so instead of freaking out, I looked around and started to figure out how to handle that one last thing as the airport at O'Hare is shutting down. It wasn't looking good. And I turned and I saw this uh, airport kiosk, and you know, they have the gate that that closes around it, you know, for security, and it was almost closed. It wasn't fully closed. And, and so I went up and kind of peeked between the bars and said, help. And the two ladies in there looked at me like I was crazy. Uh, I had already, at another kiosk, spent $4 for a bottle of water, so I knew that if they had an iPhone I was going to cord, I was going to have to take out a loan for it. And uh, so I made eye contact with the lady who was in charge. She looked to be about my age, an African-American lady. And uh, I said, actually, I need a phone cord. Is there any chance that you have one? And she said, no, we don't sell those. They sell them in little vending machines somewhere, but it's not very reliable. Wait. She got this little sparkle in her eye. It was, it's the spark of hope, friends. And she went to the lost and found. Now, what are the chances that in the lost and found at some random airport kiosk with a lady named Kenise at the the register that there is an iPhone cord? There was. And uh, so I, I was getting excited, and she said, don't get excited. Let's plug it in. Make sure it works. So she invited me into the kiosk around the gate, and we plugged it in. And it didn't work. No, it did work. It worked. It worked. It worked. And I was so excited at that point. And I started saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. And she said, don't think a thing about it. 
And if that were the end of the story, it would be a modern-day miracle, right? And it really was, it was such, a, such a nice moment at the end of a very long day. But as I was saying thank you uh, to Kenise, she said, don't think a thing about it. Just pray for me. Now, what are the chances, friends? Uh, and so I said, how can, well, that's what I do. <laughs> uh, what, can, what, what can I pray for? And she began to tell me about her daughter. You know, when it comes to your kids, you will ask some random stinky traveler looking for an iPhone cord after closing time to pray for you. And I did. She explained the situation and I placed my hands on her as she wept. And we, we prayed for her daughter. At the end of the, the prayer, she said these words that I probably will never forget. She said, you don't know how much I needed that. Uh, you know, most of the time, and for the last few years, it would have been easy for me to have lost my cool, and you all, you know, it's sort of a little window into our time. Nothing can seem to work out right, and it's so easy to be frustrated, but the real clarity came as I was telling that story later um, on Sunday morning when I was getting on the flight and got back uh, after church on Sunday uh, to another pastor friend of mine, and he said, you know what, think of it this way, the people of Broadway were taken care of. But that, that lady didn't have anybody. And, and so in, it's sort of a, a, a metaphor for our time. It also, for me, is a little bit of a reset, and maybe for us as well, to, to shift our perspective about all the frustrations and the chaos of the, this time, uh, to have a reset to um, our ultimate why, which we celebrate today, which is to be witnesses to the power of God through the story of Jesus through the presence of the Holy Spirit in the church. And for the last few weeks, we have been talking about that calling to be witnesses of Jesus. And we've been talking about it as this is how we do life. Uh, and really, I think I stood here a little over a month ago and said, really what we ought to be talking about now is, is what we should be doing. But just as importantly, we need to rediscover why we do it. And so today, we really sort of wrap up the, the series uh, about being witnesses to Jesus on Pentecost Sunday with both, both the what, but also the why. And I hope when we leave today that we will leave with a renewed sense, a little bit of clarity about both, what we're here to do, and why it is so absolutely essential that we do it. It is easy to feel like everything is working against us. When I looked up in my free time after my flight was canceled, when I looked up uh, to see why maybe flights were being canceled all over the place, did I mention 2,500 of them uh, were canceled last weekend? Uh, you know what they said, all the, all the news sources said, it's a combination of factors. Isn't that true for you right now? If, you could just, if it were just one thing, we would, we would kind of know how to do with, deal with it. It's not just one thing. It's a combination of factors. Lest you need reminding, six million people have died of COVID in a worldwide pandemic that has disrupted every life on the planet. That would be enough, wouldn't it? But it's more than that. There's a war in Europe. 
gas costs $450 a gallon, roughly. The traffic on Scottsboro Road just keeps getting worse. We can make up our own list. But in the midst of all of that last week, another senseless shooting of children in a school. And, um, you know, what's the hardest maybe for me is to watch us respond to that. Everybody agrees that's not what we want, but it seems like nobody can agree on what to do. And in fact, you, you walk away feeling maybe like we are at the mercy of all these forces that are working against us and there's just no way around it. There's nothing to do. As we listen to the response, it seems like we get more angry and frustrated and stuck in the sense that the world is not as it should be. And yet the church gives witness to one force that is power, more powerful than every other force. And it reframes us as we celebrate the, the power of the church today. It reframes us to understand that what we're seeing is actually the breaking down of everything that might bring us together except for the one thing that can. Let me say that again. Maybe we should look at our current situation as this, the breaking down of everything that might hold us together but can't so that we discover the one thing that can, the only thing that can, the only thing that brings freedom and liberation and unity, which is the presence of God among people. And doesn't that sound just so simple? In a time when it feels like we are coming away, leaving sort of moving further from God and from each other, the force that is needed is simply the force that brings us back to God and just as importantly, back to each other. Doesn't it seem like every force is working against that? But we give witness to the power of God that does this very thing that is needed. The church gives witness to the, a love so expansive that it brings all people together. Every other identifier, which isn't enough, falls away so that we discover the one that is. Pentecost, at the first Pentecost, people, people who didn't even share the same language were brought together in the power of God's presence. And we remember the ways in which in the life of Jesus, people who would have never, ever sat together and eaten together, spent time together, never come together on their own, came together in their story of redemption to become brothers and sisters in Christ. Today on Pentecost Sunday, we long for God to do this work among us. And we gather up our hope to be witnesses to that it is the very thing God is doing. At the, at the start of Acts 2, by the way, I can't think of a people more strung out, separated, dispersed, a, a, a least likely group of people to be brought together. You know, the forces at work against the Jewish people have been going on for years, and for about 700 years, the, the people had been scattered throughout the known world at the mercy of governments and at the mercy of forces beyond their control. That's where Acts 2 begins. Oh, add to that a group of these, this tiny group of disciples of a crucified Savior who had seen him resurrected and ascended into heaven. And where Laura left us last week, they're sort of standing up, looking up in the sky, saying, now what do we do? And in Pentecost, those two forces come together. As, um, you know, as people came three times a year, 
back to Jerusalem for their religious festivals. And we, it's hard to know how many people were, were there at the day of Pentecost, how many people were in Jerusalem. Um, but here's, here's one thing we do know, it was, it was a lot. It was somewhere between 50 and 250,000 people, they guess. Uh, there were, it was estimated maybe a little bit high to be at least one million Jews in Egypt alone during this time. So there were people from all over the world. And if you look at Acts 2.9, it is uh, a list of what we call the scripture reader's nightmare. You know, when we ask people to come up and read the Bible, and then they have the names of all the, you know, the, the, the Hittites and, and whatever, stalactites and stalagmites and whatever <laughs> the list is. Uh, it's the list of, uh, it's, and it's weird in the Bible when they'll list out all these places. Acts 2.9 is just a list, it's a geography list of where all the people come from. If you put it on a map, it's a big circle around Jerusalem and everybody comes back. And it was a people who over the course of hundreds of years have forged their identity and had not given up. Do you think God can work with that? Now amidst this very tiny group of disciples of Jesus who had been sitting and waiting and anticipating God's presence. And so then there are signs in Acts 2 at Pentecost of the presence of God a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and flames as uh, like the pillar of fire that guided the, the people of Israel through the wilderness, now over the heads of the disciples. God had shown up, and the people had come together, and that's how it always happens, friends. God's presence coming back together with people, uniting people together. And so at the end, beginning of Acts 2, it is a mess, and at the end of Acts 2, it's community. And there's, uh, n there's no greater, least likely group for that to happen with. I want to go back to Acts 2 for a second. We read that early on. I'm going to read it in a different version. I want you to ask uh, yourself this question. What did they do? What did they do as we read this again? The community continually gathered. They committed themselves to learning what the apostles taught them, gathering for fellowship and Breaking of bread and praying, everyone felt a sense of awe because the apostles were doing many signs and wonders among them. There was an intense sense of togetherness among all who believed. They shared all their material possessions and trust. They sold any possessions and goods that did not benefit the community and used the money to help everyone in need. They were unified as they worshiped at the temple day after day. In homes, they broke bread and shared meals with glad and generous hearts. The new disciples praised God and they enjoyed the goodwill of all the people of the city. Day after day, the Lord added to their number everyone who was experiencing liberation. Little audience participation. One is one thing that you heard that the, those disciples did in that early Acts 2 community. Just throw it out. They ate together. Amen. Fellowship, because they ate together. Amen. They shared things, possessions. There was a sense of generosity that cut through the identifiers of, of status and, and stuff, and they shared it. What else did you hear that they did? They let go of the things that didn't benefit them so that they could share the things that did. And they were liberated. It ends, ends with that word, liberation. You know, if you go home and look at Acts 2, if you go and back to Acts 4, which we read, if you go to Ephesians 4, and what, what, what we read to, today already, what you find is a vision for the very thing that we're longing for right now, I think. A community that comes together around, around the things that matter. 
and ultimately around the presence of God among them. And in a world in which people are far from God and each other, our sole purpose as the church is to give witnesses to the, witness to the force that brings people back to God, back to each other. And it does have to be both. This witness is what the witness of Jesus Christ is, is what we do. The purpose of the church is always about this. It is our ultimate why. And so, in a time when it would be easy to look around and be frustrated, the church does something different. The church doesn't talk about the need for reconciliation. It lives it. It doesn't gripe about how divided people are. It unites them in the body of Christ. The church doesn't force social transformation through political movements. No, it becomes the embodiment of transformation in their hearts and in their lives. And the result is far greater than anybody else could have brought. It lives out this in the presence of God, coming closer to God and coming closer to each other. It isn't just that we see the need for the presence of Jesus in the world. We become the presence of Jesus in the world as the very body of Christ. And in the church, even the things that would pull other people apart begin to bring us together, our suffering, our disagreement, our conflict, our differences in themselves become part of the witness. As people look in and say, like, that doesn't happen anywhere else, but it happens among them. At Broadway, that community forms around three words. I want to put those on the screen. If you don't see them there, you can see them in the back of the room or in our welcome areas. Now, this is our mission, invite, grow, and serve. And can you see that well enough to read it with me? Okay, let's, let's read those together from invite. Our mission is to invite people to become fully alive through a relationship with Christ, to encourage and challenge people to grow in their love for God and people, and to serve Christ as he works through us to transform our community and world. Seems like a pretty compelling why, doesn't it? It's not just our how, it's not just our what, it's also our why. It is how we do everything else. Not just as a church, not just as an organization, but as individuals. This becomes our personal mission statement. To in invite really means to be able to to transform ordinary transactional relationships into God encounters, like with Kinesis in an airport kiosk. And it is, is about growing, is, is really about being part of a, a, a spiritually dynamic community that changes us as we, as we tell our stories and take the risk to be known and come closer to each other in the presence of God, in the presence of one another. Service is, a, is, is about being selfless. It's about encountering our world that is really consumeristic and saying we're not here to get, we're not here to produce, we're here to serve. The result of this mission is our vision, and I want to put that on the screen as well. And I would invite you to say this with me as well. We want to be a contagious community of hospitality where all people are welcomed into a family of faith, a life-giving community of growth where hurts are healed, faith is restored, and people become fully alive. A selfless community of action that extends hope into our city and our world. And we recognize that this is our vision. It is not 
fully there, but it drives every other conversation. And our, our promise together to one another, our covenant together, is to make every conversation about this vision until it, by the grace of God, becomes real, and it is becoming real among us. Today, we are called to be the church, for this to be our compelling why, to live out our mission so that we can accomplish our vision and so that we can do it with passion in a time when it would be easy just to be discouraged, to be distracted. Last week, Pastor Laura preached about being distracted, if you were here, the sermon that was on the video. And then she went to the Greenwood campus and preached it live. And as she was preaching at 9 o'clock, uh, there was a parade outside our Greenwood campus. And I, I, I preached there for seven years. There's glass doors right out to Scottsville Road. You see everything that happens. And uh, it was a Hindu procession down to, the, to, to their temple. And they were having a party down Scottsville Road. Laura said, I was preaching about not being distracted. And I couldn't remember my next word. <laughs> a lot of reasons to be distracted these days. There are a lot of forces working against us to pull us apart. But church, there is one that is bringing us together. God is asking us to unite together in his mission to be witnesses to Jesus Christ in the world and to do it with passion, to find in that mission our joy and our purpose and our excitement because our compelling what is really uh, actually about a compelling why. And when we find that and live it and when it internalizes and when it energizes, something else happens. And so this final video uh, before we come to communion today is about that. Uh, it is about finding that thing inside of us that really is what it uh, is, um, helps us be the witness that we're called to be. It's not just the what, it's also the why. Let's watch. How do I know? A lot of people, when they think of the phrase, how do I know, they always want to put the what behind it. How do I know what I'm supposed to do? The, the question that you really should ask is, how do I know why I'm here? Because when you know your why, your what becomes more clear and more impactful. If you know, like for instance, um, people know that I do comedy, but that's what I do. My why is to inspire people to walk in purpose. So I can do comedy, I can write books, I can be in a movie because all of it is motivated by my why. In fact, I have a new, uh, a new web series out called Michael Jr. Break Time. Uh, we probably just did the sixth episode. It's on YouTube. So every single Wednesday at 3 o'clock, we drop a new episode on YouTube of Michael Jr. Break Time. What it is is it's me. I travel around the country, and I do stand-up comedy, in case you didn't know. And in the middle of my comedy set sometime, I'll stop and just talk to my audience. And we've been filming this, and it's, you know, it's, it's pretty cool. So we're in Winston-Salem. I'm going to show you a clip from Winston-Salem. And I'm just talking to this guy in the audience, and he tells me that he's a, uh, a musical instructor at a school. So I was like, all right, you're a musical instructor. You know, can you sing? Let me hear you sing a song. So this is what happened at the last episode of Michael Jr.'s Break Time. Check it. So you're a musical director. Cool. Yes, sir. All right, so um, let me get a couple, let me get a couple bars of like uh, Amazing Grace. Can you do the first part of that? Let me, go ahead. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. That bro could sing, you know what I'm saying? All right, all right. Um, now, once you give me the version 
is if uh, your uncle just got out of jail, you got shot in the back when you was a kid. I'm just saying, let me see the hood version real quick. If you know which version I'm talking about, just see if that exists. Let me see what you got. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. what I want you to catch. The first time I asked him to sing, he knew what he was doing. The second time, he knew why he was doing it. When you know your why, your what becomes more impactful because you're walking towards or in your purpose. This is what we want for every single person who walks through our doors, that subtle but powerful transformation between the first song and the second. May it be so, and may it be your witness to this world, the power of the love of Christ. As we come to communion this morning, we celebrate that force that brings us together when every other force might tear us apart. We remember the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he blessed it and he broke it, gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when the supper was over, he took the cup, again gave thanks, gave it to his disciples and said, drink from this, all of you. This is the cup of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so as those who are coming to serve come forward, I invite you to pray with me to offer yourself to God and to us to be present in this moment of communion with him as we, like on the first day of the church, gather again to help God put the world back together and in us. Let's pray together. God, would you pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here? It is the thing we long for. And without it, we are lost. But with you and in your presence, we are put back together in our own hearts and our own souls. The broken pieces of our lives begin to be liberated and made whole. And not only that, but together then we, as the community of Christ, the body of Christ, serve as his witnesses in the world in our love for each other and for you, in the kind of community that you form among us. May it be so. May you make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world. 
And we pray this in the name of Jesus and all of God's people said, amen. As we come to communion, a few...